due to the graphic nature of this week's episode, we are going to ask that you please get permission if you are under the age of 18 to listen to this week's Heart of the Faithful Ministries. Hello and welcome to Heart of the Faithful Ministries. This is your host, Ron Howard. I am back again with part two of the abortion debate. Here we are. It's not really a debate. It's more of a conversation for us because everyone involved is Christian and we are all male. So it kind of kills the whole debate thing. But we are having a conversation about abortion. So this is part two of a three-part series. So with that, let's continue on with what we were talking about with Sergio. So a couple of things. I want to go back to couple of points that Brandon made and uh, uh, needing to get back to the principles and getting back to uh, the law and then the gospel. And one of the things that uh, has been touted as a, as, as a, a grave concern and a grave need from uh, the younger generation is authenticity. Uh, and they, they want to know that what you say on Sunday is not only applicable to their lives, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, but it is something that you are willing to walk them through in their understanding and then the application of. And that's one of the reasons why we have had uh, over the last 20 to 30 years a historical decline in those who are continuing to, uh, to go to church and to continue to represent Christian values because they hear or see one thing on Sunday. And then Wednesday, from the same people that were in church pews with them, they're seeing something totally different. Uh, and it's one of those uh, I've led and, and, and uh, served as an interim youth pastor as well as led for the last six, almost seven years, young adults. And young adults are always looking for where is the underlying truth? What is actual factual and how do I go about applying and when again we aren't giving them the doctrine uh, of what is right and wrong in God's eyes and then giving them the hope of understanding and how to move forward even when they've slipped up uh, I, while it's not the same as um, abortion uh, the fact that we've had so many who struggle with premarital sex and it's like don't do it. And they ask the question, well, where is that? And it's like, well, I, we, we go through and we point out the various uh, scriptures that talk about sexual immorality, uh, fornication, or anything the like. And we say, this is how God wants you to retain your holiness that he's placed inside of you once you come into that appreciative relationship with him as Lord and Savior and he's transformed you. He says to, 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 to stay clear of these things. And then they say, well, how do I apply that? Okay, well, here's how we apply that. We don't leave ourselves in an environment with someone of the opposite sex uh, without there being someone to, to kind of keep us accountable. Well, that's not always easy. And didn't say it was going to be easy, but it is the, 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 the principle, and then it's the gospel, and then it's the conviction that you want to save yourself for this, this greater thing. All of that to say, if we can do that, and do that in earnest, when we yeah. can come alongside and disciple in earnest, then we can forged within those minds, those very, um, very uh, formative minds, a desire to pursue more things that are God-honoring and glorifying. And that is how we begin to, even though it's not going to be that we completely and utterly eradicate mm -hmm. it, but it, it is definitely a mechanism for us to shift the tide and get things back in favor of doing the things that God has called us to do, which is to to care for those who are defenseless, to care for those who um, don't have a voice, 
to care for those who are, have been marginalized. Yeah, but isn't that also a sanctity of life issue? You know, that uh, I worked with youth for a long time, and, you know, premarital sex is one of those things you got to talk about, whatever. But with the exception of incest rape, all these other instances, if you're if you're indiscriminately having sex, even if you're discriminately having sex, if you were having sex outside of your marriage, one, the church has failed to teach you that that's wrong, but more importantly than it just being, oh, that's wrong, don't do it. What about the value of the woman? That's sanctity of life because her life matters. She is made as a beautiful image of God, the creator of the universe. And I, I think... I think I don't work that into the into sermons, and I think most preachers probably don't work that in, but we've got to value life. Before you can be pro-life, let's actually be pro-life, you know, and value that, that, that respect for one another in our words and actions, but your body, my body, my choice, will make a good choice that honors God. Yeah, make a good choice that honors God, and that, that will, honestly, Michael, that also comes back to this humanistic world view that the world has that that it, it is um it is your body however um <clears throat> you should be good with your body but you should also be a sex symbol and you should not be controlled by a man but you should do all the things that would make a man desire you you should it, so there's this confusing message because once again like you said we don't have the sanctity of life as the utmost consideration and that's happening throughout the church too. But in the worldview, we know, I mean, and I hate to be this way, but you know, I, I don't like, um, I'm not a Democrat and, and I'm not going to be saying that I'm anti-Democrat. I'm not going to even do that. I'm not going to even go there. But one of the issues with a, when you, when you have the issue of, oh, well, I'm going to be um, pro-choice, but then turn around and say that we believe in evolution and, and what with, with evolution is one of the most misogynistic issues that you can even have because if you, if you believe it is a matter of the the strongest will survive you know if, if it's if it's nature is supposed to take care take its course well then rape wouldn't matter it's not a moral issue anymore it's a matter of well it, who cares because you know the strongest is surviving right the guy that got to it first that's the one who is uh inseminated the the woman and it's and it's all happening and it, but it goes back to that soul that inner soul that we are given that is breathed into our life that thing that makes us who we are is the actual breath of god it is not a uh, a a a series of cells clumped together to make and form a biological being it is literally the breath of god breathed into us and that soul is what makes us that person and so getting people to understand that they are much much more than just a simple being that they are they're they're so much more in the eyes of god that they were specifically made even all the brokenness that's going on in them right now all the brokenness <clears throat> that's going on in them it is all under god's sovereign control it is all god and he loves you regardless because that's who you are and yes sin entered the world so there are things that are happening to our kids there are things that are going on like you know i mean you can't you know knock the 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 fact that some people have extra chromosomes that you know that there are um misomy ch children or trisomy children you you can't knock the fact i mean there are so many different things that are that could be wrong with our genetics but that's the worldly view that's what sin entered sin entered the world and it destroyed the perfect genetics that god created but now what are we going to do with those people those people who say, well, I'm broken, I'm wrong. Well, guess what? We're all broken. Every single one of us that's on this podcast and listening to this podcast is absolutely broken and injured in some way, shape, or form. There's nothing, there's no perfect human being. That person has come to this earth, has gone, is sitting in heaven, and will be back again, and you know, maybe sooner than later, depending on what goes on with Ukraine. But... <laughs> But you understand what I'm saying. It's, it's an issue where we have to instill in our children and not just the children, the people in 
the congregation and show them how to instill that in other people. Because what was it that showed the world that made it so appealing to be the church, the big C, the church of Jesus Christ? What was it that made us all so appealing? It was our love for one another, right? And that sharing that love, that's what brought people into the church. So we need to be able to compound that with one another and be able to share that with the world and make it more appealing to come to church. Or, or, or And I don't mean like, you know, our church or your church or their church. I mean, like just the church in general needs to be more appealing because we're not all fighting and having these infights and having all these dis- disputes and it, it shouldn't be that way. It should be that we are loving. And I am fully agreeing with you 110%, all of you, as far as that's concerned. Uh, are we are we kind of agreeing that the government really shouldn't be the um, the main litigator here of abortion? Well, I would say that in order, in my opinion, I mean, if we're all in ministry, we're all Christian men, then our foundation, you know, we, we there's a uh, Greg Bonson, a uh, very famous modern day apolo- Christian apologist, uh, deceased now, but uh, he, he would one of the statements that he made that really stuck with me is that nobody enters into any discussion, especially one of this magnitude from a place of neutrality. So where is the Christian supposed to enter into an argument such as this? Well, he's not going to enter in from a place of neutrality. So, you know, if he claims the name of Christ, he ought to be entering into the conversation from the word of God. Well, let, so in so in my opinion, to define the government's role and stance on abortion would be. You know, what does the Bible say about the government's role in society? Well, Romans chapter 13 says that God's role for government is simple. Protect the innocent and punish the wicked. It's really that simple. Now, there's no more, there's no one more innocent than an unborn child, and there's no one more wicked than one who celebrates the murder of innocent uh, unborn children. So where should the government stand on this issue? They should stand in the same place they stand on every other issue of murder, and that is that it should be criminalized. All right. What about you, Sergio? So I, I, I agree, and uh, I'm, I'm going to take it <clears throat> and make it a little bit more simple. <laughs> Everything that you said was right on point. It comes back down to uh, if we are to be mindful. We serve the one true living God, and his command to us was, and I think we all have agreed upon it, thou shall not kill, period. Nothing else. And if there's a government that has uh, found its way to be um, a part of an agenda and says that oh, in this circumstance it's okay, but any other place, like Brandon uh, pointed out, if you um, kill the, the, the grocery store clerk while you're in the midst of committing an armed robbery and they try you and they find you guilty and they uh, it happens to be one of the states that has the death penalty. Oh, we're going to kill you for that. Because you killed that, that unarmed shop owner who you were in the midst of robbing. We're going to kill you. I, n- no. I, n- n- no. It doesn't work on one end and not on the other. And we get back to the basic bottom line principle. We are a nation that was founded on religious belief. It's right there, eloquently woven in and out throughout all of our early uh, American uh, historical documents. Go back to that principle and hold us accountable to that. If we were to look at this in a broader spectrum, there are countries all over the world that push for abortions because of overpopulation that push for abortions in the event that you have already had your allotted one male child. We're not trying to have any more female children kill that child. Well, you know, a lot of people would say that Thanos was right. As far as that's concerned, you know, Oh, Hey, Hey, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to get into, you know, the re the valuable resources, but really and truly, uh, Without man, can we get to those resources? 
<laughs> it's so true so true michael what about you what what, what do you have yeah, for so, us? so i i agree mostly here i would point out though that you know murder is still murder and there's government sanctioned murder um found in capital punishment uh, famously but probably some other areas too um, the short answer is, you know, it's a complicated question, of course, but on one hand, you know, this nation is one nation under God, and that is pretty clear that abortion should not be permitted. So the government should not say, yes, this is permitted, or as Sergio was alluding to, it should not be permitted under these conditions, but those conditions, it's not okay. You've got a federal issue, but you've also got a state issue, uh, because some, some have, you know, they, they've tried to circumvent the process and in an election year, I'll point out, have said, oh, well, we're going to make it more difficult um, or we're going to force that child to see, you know, the, the 3D sonogram and, you know, that looks anyway. So, you know, we, you know, we try to circumvent this, but still the government is still involved, is still picking and choosing. Scripture, uh, but on the other hand, um, you know, Scripture has many evidences of God just saying, okay, guys, y'all have fun with that. You know, choose this day who you will follow. That is what we must do. That is what we must lead. And leadership is not dictating and telling people what they what they are supposed to do. It is leading by example. So as we've all talked about already, some of the inconsistencies between our biblical beliefs that we espouse and our, our behavior, you know, falls under that category. Um, I do believe the practice shouldn't be codified and, and anywhere else close to legal. And I wanted to make that clarification because... Roe versus Wade that comes up all the time, and I did not realize until our current president's, I think it was his, in his acceptance speech, so I had to go look it up, he is planning to codify um, yep. Roe versus Wade. Well, apparently it's not a federal law. It's not, you know, abortion is not something that's been codified from this. It's just simply a, a legal precedent that's been set by the Supreme Court, so that's kind of the basis. So. We, sh we should maybe be focusing on that to uh, pro prohibit that from being codified and, of course, seeking to change all of these laws. But where do those lawmakers come from? Well, they come from voters. Who are those voters? Some of them are Christians. As I mentioned earlier, you know, the Hebrews demanded to be like everybody else. And God said, OK, fine. And we know how that turned out. We do demand, it seems, that this person or that person be elected or reelected. And if it is a law in the books, you know, I think we have to kind of maybe support it is not the right word. Um, we have to recognize that it is legally a thing. Um, so that gets kind of complicated. But anyway, on the other hand, if we need to change the law, we've got to elect, quite frankly, different people. And that's a whole different issue in and of itself because it's not as simple as it's supposed to be based on the Constitution. But when that moment comes, what do we do? We tend to take the easy route. The government should not take a stand anywhere, uh, especially in these matters, but instead represent the wishes and the will of the citizens. So if this is on the books, that means the majority of the people in the different districts for the people voting on them said, hey, that's fine. Rather than us focus and, you know, make the government the, you know, the, um, uh, the big bad guy or, or, or the demon doing Satan's work, we've got to get back to our roots. We know what they do is a result of our decision, mostly. We put them in office. So if we're against abortion, especially churches, even if it's just conservative churches and we want to change it, then we need to work in those spaces to you know, raise up these this new generation of, of leaders who will truly represent our Christian beliefs as well as everything else. And that's, again, uh, I think I said it before, too. It's at all levels and to make those changes at the same time. Remember that, you know, it's very difficult for us to legislate morality. It's not even there's no biblical basis for us to legislate morality because God doesn't force us to do anything. It's all about free choice. So how do you change that free will of the individual? Well, we should first be led by the spirit. We should influence these individuals to make the correct choices and for them for them to reject abortion because we do spend a whole lot of time screaming pro-life and abortion is murder. But what if we approach our fellow citizens and support that supposed love that we say we have put our money where our mouth is and let the people make their own own decisions. And maybe some of those alternatives look like, you know, uh, uh, helping in the foster system or helping in the abort or the abortion system. Oh, that's a horrible thing. Sorry. Um, helping in, you know, the, the defense, <clears throat> um, you know, type type organizations. 
I don't see, and you know, I have a small window here, but uh, I just don't see a whole lot of churches supporting that. So that that leaves that choice. How do we influence that? Well, that's going to take a couple of generations at least to kind of change that mindset. But in the meantime, we've got this mess that we need to do something with, and we got to respond um, in you know in in the same grace and the same love that we say that we have to these individuals and seek to kind of change their mind. And once there's a less demand for abortion, I think it's a whole lot easier to change the law. We've had 11 years of Republican-led uh, Supreme Court. They, they were the ones that were in power. And over those 11 years, no one was able to do anything with Roe versus Wade. And, and, and another thing that you said was, you know, that, that we should show people the fetus and everything. You know, John Piper in one of his sermons actually was talking about the fact that we should actually show them an abortion. Uh, before they go and get an abortion. And he very graphically described uh, what was going on and very slowly, very graphically described it. And it was, um, yeah, I would, I would love to have actually maybe been in the choir looking at the congregation as he was saying that sermon, but it, it's, it's also something that it's, you're going to a scare tactic and that's not going to help anybody because, you know, I I've said it, uh, when I was young, um, in, in Christ and I was, I've been an evangelist since I've been saved. Okay. So with that, I was out on the streets. We were talking to people, um, in the, in the middle of Buckhead. I mean, we were speaking to people and, and one of the people that led that with me, um, is, is a man named Ken, beautiful, beautiful soul. He told me, look, if they are arguing with you, stop talking. It's okay if they make one argument, but if they go to the next argument and dismiss the argument you just made, they're not listening. You cannot beat a person into faith with God. They have to come of their own volition because as you spoke, Michael, that free will has to be first and foremost. I think that we need to make sure that we stand on the love of, of Christ when it comes to our community and those people who need to hear this message. Brandon, I'm going to ask you real quick. We're going to start closing this thing off a little bit, but uh, should Christians be single issue voters based on the abortion issue? And and if, if you would kind of talk to what we should be doing in the community to help with this issue. So are you asking if, Christians ought to be single issue voters in reference to the candidate actively running his campaign ba or his or her campaign based upon uh, the pro-choice movement. I mean, that would be part of their policy. Yes, absolutely. For instance, say um, uh, we have Raphael Warnock and one of his issues was he was a pro-choice Christian Correct. preacher. Based on that, I definitely was not going to vote for him just based on that alone. But say say you have another person, say you have, you know, for for Georgia, Brian Kemp, uh, you know, he's got, got Purdue, David Purdue right now, I believe, is the one who's going against him. Say David Purdue is pro-choice and, and, and Brian Kemp is not. And I, I'm not talking about their actual politics, but just for, you know, hypothetically, what would you say to a person on that regards? I mean, I would say that, it, you know, the premise to begin with is uh, a contradiction in terms, in my opinion. I don't think there's such there is such a thing as a pro-choice pastor. I just I mean, I'll make people mad. That's fine. You know, uh, send them my way. I, I don't I don't have a problem with that. But I think that's a contradiction in terms. So uh, should we be single issue voters? I mean, I say absolutely. Yes, I, I think this is a, a hill that I would most certainly die on. A lot of people say, well, you know, less hills or vote lesser of two evils and all this kind of stuff. It's not even so much as that. I just it's just such a conviction to me. You know, I, I have a, a, a one month old son, not even one month. And even before we had this conversation, I'm looking and even over the past few days when I'm preparing for this, you know, this topic tonight, this discussion, my wife and I are sitting on the couch, the baby in her arms and I'm looking at him and I'm just baffled. You know, just just wondering how in the world 
you know, and I get it. Sin is a, this flesh is a powerful, nasty, you know, just like what I referenced Romans 7 earlier, or Paul says, there is no, nothing good that dwells within me that is in my flesh. Oh, wretched man that I am, right. who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And, you know, he says, I, you know, I see two laws, you know, the law of my flesh, the law of, you know, of grace, but they're at war with one another. And and I, I get all that, but for me, it's, it's, you know, the other guy can be <laughs> saying some crazy stuff. I'm still going with the other guy. Uh, that's just, that's my two cents on it. Uh, as far as what the, the church ought to be doing in, you know, in uh, the community. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a subject that I have done great, a great many hours of research on listening to rallies, listening to protests, listening to both sides. I mean, I have a, a, a decent understanding of both sides of the argument. And I'm going to be honest. I don't do, I don't even, can I be real transparent? I don't even have the right to sit here and have this conversation with you. The reason is, is because it's one thing to say it on Sunday morning and in conversations like this, it's one thing to say it, you know, anytime the conversation, you know, takes place in, in the area surrounding you, but it's, what am I doing about it? Honestly, besides rhetoric, not a lot. And I would say that's pretty, pretty common across the board. But if I were, if I were, if I were to give a, a real life um, application here, one of the greatest movements that I have seen, and I, I don't know if I'm allowed to plug, you know, an organization, you know, I'm not giving them a 100% endorsement. I'm not saying I agree with everything that, that they teach and whatever, but as far as it is pertaining to this issue, there is a, an organization called End Abortion Now. They're based out of Arizona. Uh, they're under a um, Reformed Baptist church. And, um, brother, these, this church is, they're going to the abortion clinics. They're teaching all these different locals. You could literally go on their website right now and ask them to give you all the free resources and training that they have at their disposal in order to equip local churches, whereas now there's hundreds, if not thousands, of local churches all across the world who have received training from this particular organization to give you real life application for any church that is willing to get into the fight of how to fight both on the local level. In other words, send your con equip and send your congregation to the mills, not to preach a, and they're, they're against the pro, uh, the pro, uh, the pro life movement. These people are not pro life. They said, because it, because even when you research the pro life movement, it is an organization in and of itself receiving hundreds of millions of dollars every year. So they really don't want the, you know, the abortion to become illegal. In fact, there, there have been bills presented to where to totally criminalize, totally make illegal all forms of abortion. Forget the heartbeat bill because you're still killing a baby. It don't matter if it's three weeks old, three minutes old, three months old, three years old. It don't matter. From any stage of the game, it's still an abort, a murder of a child, regardless of how we want to break it down. So these these people have actually uh, put laws on the books, and the pro-choice, uh, the pro-life movement organization will come in and uh, and squash those laws with all the resources, money that they have, and then propose bills like heartbeat bills. And they don't want you to even hear these these other sides of the story. So their their presentation or their approach is 100% gospel centered. When they go to the uh, abortion clinics and preach to the women who are literally going into the clinic to have abortions, they're not, you know, they're not saying, you know, anything but the gospel. They're telling these people the gospel, hoping to reach these women and the husbands or the boyfriends of these women with the gospel in order to change, you know, not just their idea on abortion, but to change their eternity. And so that's the approach that they use. Even, and then they also equip on the state level. So they, t they teach churches and men and women of God who are like politically minded to be able to go in and speak to the uh, state legislators and to show them how to get these types of uh, bills onto the books to be voted on to see if we can actually, as their name states, end abortion now. And they do the same thing on the federal level. 
And so and even uh, so, even with this, you know, as we all know, just a couple of days ago, they just voted again uh, to see if they could uh, codify Roe versus Wade. And as the brother mentioned a, minute, a moment ago, Roe versus Wade is not law. The Supreme Court does not make law. This, this, the Congress is in the, is the way our governmental system is orchestrated. Congress is who makes law. The Supreme Court just interprets the law. But I want you to think about it even on this level. Even if they made, and, and Joe Biden ran his campaign, as Michael said, with this promise, we will make Roe the law of the land, which tells us that Roe is not the law of the land. But think about this. Even if the federal government came up and said, okay, Roe is now going to be law of the land. Think about, so is smoking marijuana. Smoke, at a federal level, marijuana, the consumption of marijuana, possession of marijuana is illegal on a federal level. But the states are right now exercising their state sovereignty and saying, forget what the federal government says. We're going to exercise our, our state sovereignty in the, in the area of marijuana, possession and consumption of marijuana. Then so could they also do the same thing with abortion if we had faithful men and women to approach their state sentence and to actually get into the fight. And I say all that with passion while I'm not in the fight in any real meaningful way, if I can just be honest. But there are organizations like this one that I just have utmost respect for. And if there's anybody out there that wants to do it, they can get free training and resources to be able to do it on all three levels. And that's what it's going to take. And that was in abortion now. That's what you said. In abortion now, okay. out of Arizona. All right. So, so we'll have to put that one in the in the notes for this one, Sergio. I'm going to ask you a difficult question. Okay. All right. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Here, right. here you go. Wait, wait, hold on. Let me let me clean my glasses. I'm going to have to get serious with you. This one's a tough one. Okay. So. Okay. A female, because we have all spoken against, and this is a bunch of guys speaking against it, and and I don't want any female listeners to be, uh, you know, left out on this. So we will be having Carrie come on and speak uh, to this from a female perspective. But for the females who have, because there are a lot of women that have, and they have this in their past, they um, maybe they did it as they were a Christian, maybe they did it before they were a Christian, but they come to church and this is something that they really don't want to speak of because it is one of those things, like Michael said, it's this, uh, you know, they don't want to become a pariah. What do we say or speak to those females who have had an abortion? First, we need to realize that they hurt more than we know. And I, I think that it is very telling that that is a, uh, a, a portion that as we were getting into it, that, uh, you know, there was question about, uh, or I think you referenced, Ron, that um, some of the studies have said that, you know, women who've undergone this uh, don't suffer uh, any lasting effects. And this is, uh, depending on who you get your research information from, uh, on the counseling side of the house, we would tell you that there is an overwhelming sense of guilt, guilt, uh, overwhelming sense of shame, uh, overwhelming sense of loss, uh, an overwhelming sense of uh, how could I have done this now in light of and really questioning whether uh, they're going to be just eternally for that. We need to know that they're hurting. We need to know that, again, None of us is without sin. Uh, and I cannot say it enough that my sin of alcoholism is no less than this, this, or no greater than this or this. It was a sin. And so we need to be mindful. We ought to go back to, and we, we've already touched on this, truly speaking, love, grace, mercy and compassion into their lives. Uh, we have had a number of individuals um, that I've encountered uh, through the years who uh, a young lady that was in our youth program, uh, she was a, the victim of incest. Uh, ended up, you know, uh, having some other issues and for um, a moment thought that she was pregnant Thankfully, that wasn't the case, but it was one of those where she questioned. And were it not for us having a leader 
who could speak to that very nature and then comfort and reassure her that God was with her and that God was more concerned with dealing with, or not more concerned, but God would deal with the individual who committed that act against them versus their part in it. We got to be mindful of those things. And it could have been any number of, uh, situations that uh, a young lady had to get an abortion. I, I know of one um, when I right before I left uh, Georgia. One of the last things that I remember uh, having happened was a friend of mine reached out to me, and you know she w- was brought up in a holiness church family. Um, family said, "Oh, you're 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 what?" No, you got a choice. You can either live on the street and keep that child, or you can have the abortion, come before the church and apologize to the church for having premarital sex and then getting pregnant out of wedlock, and all will be forgiven. Now, she called and was like, what do I do? And it was one of those, it was a tough situation to put 19, 20 year old me in. Cause that was, you know, that was, you know, when I left home, uh, and it was pray to God for where you need to go and what you need to do. And lo and behold, an aunt that she hadn't heard or talked to in years called her and said, uh, God just said, I need to reach out to you. She explained what was going on, and the aunt said, you've got a place to stay, and I'll help you raise that child. Wow. we gotta, we got to be mindful. And we, what we really need to be doing is reevaluating the stance that we've taken because, again, we've got to stop thinking or saying that things are too taboo or things are too tough or things are uh, – it's a hot-button topic, and I don't want to offend – those who may be in support of this. No, no, no. The gospel is offensive. Amen. Christ said it himself. Christ said it it himself. So we need to go, and if it is a matter of us being offensive, we need to be offensive. We need to get into the game and say, what's at stake? We can no longer sit along the sidelines. And, brother, the fact that you have, uh, the access or the fact that you research or the fact that you know that there's a place out there that you can point people to that is in the fight means you're in the fight. Some of us are trained to research and, and, and provide the information. Some of us are meant to stand on the front line. Some of us are meant to do the behind the works uh, work where we're collecting things that are going to support those who are in need of them. We're all in it. Some of us would like to be more involved, and trust me, I'm going to take this to our missions board uh, for how we can get engaged. But we've got to stop with the, that's not our place, and we've got to stop how we are viewing this and other uh, hot, uh, hot button topics, and we have just got to get back to what God's word says and living it. Not just speaking on it, but living it. And that's how I would say that the church needs to get involved and those within the church need to be involved. And again, we need to, if there is someone who has gone through this, reassure them that there is still a God that loves. Mm -hmm. And there is still a God who can forgive. And there is still a God who can redeem and restore them to right fellowship with himself and with those who genuinely love God and love God's people. I like that answer. I like that answer. Uh, okay, so I think that's a really good place for us to wrap up on. Um, Michael, it, do you have any final words? Yeah, you know, just just a couple. So, um, fun fact, I have ne- never carried a baby. I've never given birth <laughs> to a baby. So, I can't tell you, you know... It, from that perspective, I can't say, well, it's like this, it's like that, because I don't know. But what I do know is rape, incest, those terrible things that the human being does to another human being, as well as an abortion under, quote-unquote, normal circumstances, 
both of those behaviors have lifelong scars for the person. And unfortunately, in Georgia, pastors are pretty limited in the amount of quote-unquote counseling, and they've got to be very careful in using that word, that they can provide, but these people need that service. They need to find, explore, heal from those stories. So I think, you know, churches, one thing that, you know, we can do a better job is uh, with is partnering with, and they, you might even find it in your own congregation, but partner with those Christian counselors who know how to speak to, with, and, you know, really help heal these people. Because although there's those lifelong scars, although they may lead to drug abuse and, you know, all sorts of other destructive things to a person's life. Um, I don't know about your God, but my God loves me. My God can heal me. And we've got, we've got to get back to that place where we're putting God first and saying, you know what? I, I agree. This is a terrible, terrible thing that you went through and you've had an abortion. I agree. I understand that you, you probably are you know, regretting this decision or you're having night, whatever, recognize and, and agree with them, number one. But number two, provide some of that love, right? I mean, you know, have some compassion, no judgment. Just provide some of that compassion for the person and meet them on that level. Jesus met us. Jesus met people where they were. We have got to meet these folks where they are too because these scars are life lifelong. The other thing churches, I think, could do a better job of is partner with good organizations. Like in our case, we support a friend's house and I've got rules so I can't take our kids there to go do stuff, you know, for, for a lot of good reasons. But they have been involved in helping indirectly. Uh, for example, we did, uh, I'll tell you, uh, this will be really quick, I promise. We did a uh, uh, trunk and treat thing um, and we had all this leftover candy. And I'm like, you know what, kids, that's what we're going to do. So each week leading up to the trunk or treat, they picked their favorite candy. They didn't know why. Fourth, fifth week into this, then they made these goodie bags and they wrote these sweet little cards. And they took it over there. And through that entire time, I was talking about those other special boys and girls so that they could see that, you know, the way their life looks is different than some of these other kids, some of their same ages. So we should do a better job partnering with those groups, uh, um, you know, partnering with and supporting pregnancy resource centers and places like that. So that, you know, we, we're, we're the things that we can't provide, we're finding the good Christian principled people who can provide those kind of things and putting our money where our mouth is, isn't doing that work in those places. So, you know, this unwanted child, well, this child is wanted by somebody. Thirdly, you know, I do think we ought to be involved carefully um, in influencing political decisions, and you know, especially with our legislators, uh, legislators who, uh, I think it was Sergio, who said that they're the ones who actually make the laws. We should do, do a good job in kind of influencing that policy, um, but, you know, we need to kind of circumvent the government altogether and you know, it's kind of that boots on the ground mentality, you know, be where those people are and, you know, pull those resources together. And then, you know, the crazy notion I've got is, well, gee, churches are busy. Most churches are busy on Wednesdays and Sundays, but Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, <laughs> Friday, and Saturday, those buildings are empty. Why can't churches take on, you know, uh, fostering a, um, an, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to show my age here, an unwed teen. You know, why can't we provide that, that safe space for them to come? We've got all these signs out everywhere. If you go to the, the gas station chain here called QT, you see that my wife told me what it meant. And, you know, there's that yellow sign that says this is a safe place, you know, so you can surrender your child or, you know, uh, if, if you're being sex trafficked or whatever. We sure have spent a whole lot of time politically on, you know, the, the sex trafficking thing. But yet this ongoing problem we have not addressed. And I think that is right in our wheelhouse in terms of biblical love, that unconditional love and supporting. So if we can't do it all, find the good principled people who can and work a lot in those areas to, you know, kind of where the need is, connect them with the right resource. Good stuff. Brandon, what about you? What, what, what are your final thoughts? Well, <clears throat> I would say that there was a, um, a statement that I really wanted to just bring to the forefront. You know, we talked about earlier about what government's role should be in this particular situation uh, of, uh, pertaining to abortion. And um, I think that the, 
definition for God's role for government being to protect the innocent and punish the wicked so that therefore we should literally make illegal the act of abortion, a criminal act. And I want to say this, Brother Ron, and it's probably going to get me into a little bit of trouble here, but I'll say it anyway. That's all right. But um, and one of the major arguments given by pro-choice advocates is that if we criminalize abortion, then all that's, all that's going to happen is that abortions will just begin to, you know, revert back to back room, you know, taking place in the shadows, various things like that, uh, much unsafer uh, practices and, and, and things like that. And my question to that would be this. I want to leave people with this particular thought from my end. Isn't that where murder belongs? Doesn't murder belong in the back alley? What if we were to take that same concept and apply it to other, you know, criminal acts, let's say for rape? What if we were to say that uh, rather than criminalizing rape, let's make it legal so rape no longer happens in the back alleyway? That's ludicrous, right? But that's exactly what's happening in the, in the topic of, of abortion. And 100 percent, we need to be doing a better job meeting people where they are. And that's why I say this isn't a pro-life you know, uh, the church should not be, it's not a you know issue of whether or not we partner with pro-life or pro-choice. We ought to be partnering with the gospel, reaching people one-on-one, on, one, on a one-on-one level where they are with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I remember when God reached me, it was on the floor of Cobb County Jail, you know, after, you know, spending years and years sticking needles in my arms. And so I'd be the first to admit that God can reach me after living a life of, of debauchery and, you know, terrible things. But that's exactly where I needed to be. Brother Ron, God used that situation in my life to reach me. But I don't look back and say, well, you know, they ought to have, you know, let me just run the roads and do whatever I want and, you know, sell these, you know, drugs and just continue to kill people at will. No, what I was doing when I was selling drugs, guess where I was doing it? It wasn't in the public, you know, arena. It was in the back alleyway because it was a shameful act. And that's ex- but, but what, what is just interesting and mind boggling for me is that it's not, and people will disagree with this because they don't really understand, you know, the real perception behind the, the major political proponents that are pushing for the legalization and the, and the remaining legalization of abortion. These people, you would say, I would say many of those people on that upper echelon, they're not just grateful for the fact that they get to do abortions. They are celebrating it. Brothers, they are legitimately celebrating this shameful and sinful act. And people that don't believe that, you go watch these pro uh, uh, these these rallies, these these protests and such things, and you'll see those in the upper echelon of this fight are not just you know thankful that they that their child no longer has to be forced to carry you know a child unwanted child at 15 years old. No, these people are celebrating this very fact. And my and my my position on this would be. Should we should we not just make it illegal, but actually criminalize it? Why? Because that's where murder belongs in the back alley. And that's my position. I I have to say, you know, that's a a compelling argument. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, the um, we didn't even get into the fact, you know, that we we could have talked about the fact that, you know, with with uh, Planned Parenthood, you know, they were looking basically for the genocide of the black race. Because Absolutely. they, you know, 100. that that was how it was started, it, you know, and and I'm not even I'm not even going to get into that, but like you know, com, coming from the governmental um, perspective, how much of all of this legislation is geared towards you actually committing the act? Which you know, just something to think about. We won't get into it here because we are on our final thoughts, but uh, that that is a very interesting perspective. And, and uh, one that we definitely need to consider. So go into you, Sergio, your final thoughts, and I'll give mine. Uh, my, my final thought is this, is that uh, w- while we have touched on a lot of different things and we have given, uh, again, a, 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 a one-sided view, seeing that we're all men and that have never, as Michael pointed out, none of us has ever carried, none of us has ever given birth, None of us have ever been through um, what it means to be uh, emotionally, physically uh, attached to another being growing inside of us. Uh, That being said, we all know what it is to be a creation of God. And we need to take to heart just how significant a thing that is 
and how sacred that thing is uh, and where we should be in defending that. Whether we are talking denominations, let's put our denominational differences aside. If we espouse ourselves to be a part of the greater Big C Church, then we need to go back and be rooted in Big C Christ-spoken initiative. And we are to protect the sanctity of life. We are to defend those who cannot defend themselves. And we are to do what is right, not by man's standards or convictions, but we are to do what is right and pleasing in God's eyes. When we commit ourselves to doing that, and we commit to doing that regardless of what the cost is, then we can say that we are a part of addressing the change that needs to be made, not only in our country with the laws, but in our congregations when it speaks to uh, whether or not we're discussing this topic or any other that has been taboo for far too long. We need to get back to Christ-driven doctrine, discipline, and discipleship so that these things are no longer um, pressing matters. What's the pressing matter is who's next in helping them uh, have that salvation and having that salvonic relationship with our Lord and Savior. That's what I said. Thank you, Sergio. I appreciate your Final word there, and as for my final thoughts on this, um, one of the reasons why we started Heart of the Faithful Ministries was because of Proverbs 4.23, which states, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And what I wanted to do was equip believers with the ability to reason out their faith, to give stories and and encouragement, and just to, to help people hear the, the faith of others. And, and to hear the gospel message. And now, with this issue on abortion, we've given a lot of different uh, things to think about. Everyone has made excellent points with biblical foundation as to why you all believe the way you do. And this is a strong issue. And I'm grateful for every single one of you, and I'm also grateful to even live in a country that we can even have this conversation because there are a lot of countries out there that do not give their citizens, the opportunity to even speak on it. And I believe we need to continue the conversation because we are literally throwing these children into the fires of Molech. And as a church and as a community, we need to make sure that we are providing as many different options as we can to help those who are making a hard choice. And for those who are listening, who are thinking about having an abortion or who has had an abortion, I want you to understand that you are loved regardless of any decision that you have made. We know that life is what it is, and we're all broken. We're all messed up. And we just want you to know that we love you. Jesus loves you. And there is nothing that can change that. And with that, we will end this episode of Heart of the Faithful Ministries. Thank you all so much for listening, and thank you all for being here with us, guys. Uh, it was such a pleasure to be with all of you. Hey, make sure you follow. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on Amazon. Call your Alexa. Tell us you want to listen to Heart of the Faithful Ministries. Leave a comment. Hey, and why not visit our Facebook page? The Heart of the Faithful Ministries had a Facebook page for years. We used to be a worship band. Uh, play some worship music go and check that out and uh you know what we we're just glad to have had you so with that until next time stay vigilant my friends <laughs>